Well, we are more than we started, and uh, kids are upstairs with their sacrificed adults, Drew Nicholas, who's doing Sunday school. If you're ever interested in doing Sunday school with the kids, talk to Davis when he's here. He likes to have other people do it too and give Bible lessons to little sacks of sin. Um, but uh, Davis is out of town this week, but chat with him if you're interested. Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your apostles, especially St. Paul, who this morning we're going to try to adjust our thinking in regard to, that we might live a life more pleasing to you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Recently I've been with various friends. Uh, Mondays we have a, a meeting that has been tentatively titled The Men Who Were Monday. Black Kenny, Con, Greg, sometimes Drew. Um, some, who? John sometimes, yeah. Um, And then there's conversations in the evening at the house, just because that's what we do. And we've been talking a lot about the problem people have of knowing themselves. Um, we're talking about, uh, I don't know what your view is, about personality tests, whether it's classical bodily humors or whether it's a Myers-Briggs imminently uh, complimentary uh, listing about who you are. People love these things or they love taking little tests online that describe that they are just like some Disney princess. They like to know what they are like. You know, what, what automobile are you most like? Oh yes, I'm like a Jaguar. Because we don't know. We, uh, we have a hard time, oddly enough, with all the information direct and on the table. You know, in other words, it's in you. You've got a mind, you're looking at yourself. But we always remember that verse. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. We're just, we know we're up to something. You know when you take a Myers-Briggs set, you know you're lying. You know you're tell, telling false stories about yourself. The ways you would like to be. Ways you'd like to be viewed. But we're Christians. And I would hope that we would, in coming up with categories, that we'd use at least, even if they're just helping us understand ourselves, that we'd use biblical descriptions of categories. I talked to Nico the other day about it, that, that uh, he was asking, he brought up the personality things, and, and I said, oh, I'd like to start with the end result first. This is what God wants of us. He wants holiness of us. He wants us to be pleasing to him. Let's now look at the situation to find out why we are the way we are that is not pleasing to him, how we can, and how we should categorize life. And so this first verse on Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, up at the top, right at the end of 1 Thessalonians, and he is exhorting them just generic goodness. You know, uh, the verse before it is, we exhort you, brethren, admonish the idle, 
encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. But test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So there's a general Pauline ending to a letter to the church in Thessalonica. General good, be good. And we know that all of us have felt, even when we were non-Christians, that there was kind of a goodness out there. We know what good is. And we pursued God, we sought these things because we knew that good was something you should have. You should be more good than bad. You should stop being bad altogether. We know what we're about. And we know that if you're a non-Christian seeking God, it starts to become more and more evident that what you value, you're not being able to do. And so as we as Christians, people who cross that line into Christ, then have this sense of obligation. How do I figure out the righteous life in Christ? How do I speak of it to myself? Not so much we have to come up with a theology here at All Souls where we tell you how you must think about it. I want to give you a suggestion. You can consider it, find out whether or not it's valuable to you in your pursuit of holiness. Thessalonians 5.23 May the God of peace himself sanctify you holy and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Now there's some benefits in there. You see the grace of God in there. He will do it. He himself sanctify you holy. The power of God evident in you. But you're offered something there too. You're offered the prayer that this would happen to you. But that it would happen to you in a set of categories. And this is an old argument. Most people grant, well, Paul said it. That sets the bar. That's the categories there. The spirit, the soul, and the body. Some Christians go, what? I thought the soul and spirit were the same thing. The spirit, the soul, and the body. Now there's a benefit to this. Because in your life, have you ever known somebody really schizophrenic? You know, variety of people there. <laughs> Arguing with themselves. What was that uh, movie with McElroy? Split? He had something like 20-some different personalities, people in him. You ever feel that way when you're resisting sin? No, I don't. I shouldn't do that. Well, yes, you should. It's the little, we get draw the little cartoon angel and the demon on the other shoulder. We have all sorts of categories we put this through. Some Christians believe that you still have an old nature. I'm not one of them, but so many Christians do. That there's this constant struggle between sin and righteousness in your life. Well, what I wanted you to do is start thinking about 
what the actual categories are and what's actually going on in you because it is that is you you are spirit you are the soul and you are the body and it needs to be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ So once you start thinking about what's going on in you, that it's not some crazy voice, some other, some other demonic, it's you. You bodily, you soul, you spirit. Now the question is, like the Godhead, our God is also one agent, God, Yahweh. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Same basic tripartite division. You have a body, you have a mind, you have a spirit. Making one God. You are made one person, even though your body can be seen downtown tomorrow. And they go home and they say, I saw so-and-so downtown. Well, you saw their body. You didn't see their soul, you didn't see their spirit. That person's spirit and soul are active with them. But you are the sum of this. Once you realize you're the sum of this, your mind is fully you, your body is fully you, your spirit is fully you. What is the conversation that is going on between these three? Jesus Christ says at one point in the Gospels that he only says what the Father in heaven gives him to say. Wouldn't it be nice if you only said what your father in heaven? Or sometimes when you're like a puberty-stricken teenager, if only you said the things you thought to say rather than what came out of your mouth. You always said something wrong. We know that it's a matter of your communion and how you view these categories. Now in Galatians 5, the next passage here, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. Okay? Look at that, what's going on. You You have an assignment called holiness, freedom. Don't use it as an opportunity for doing what your body wants you to do, your flesh. But through love, some other source, be servants of one another. Something else is speaking to you rather than just your body. Just be aware that what your body is a non-believer, it is as a believer. You're this sack of enzymes, a sack of, of, of nerve endings, that when it gets hungry, it wants food, and when it gets a certain kind of hungry, it wants the last french fry. Even though there's another person there who wants the last french fry. And you're willing to kill that person for that french fry. We know we've gotten that way. Now, I'm not a panicky, hungry person. How many of you are panicky? Heather's panicky, Les is panicky. I did see her. I could have predicted that one. Um, well, well, someone, I mean, children could die. Husbands could die if that Snickers bar is not provided quickly. 
We know though we, 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 that these things speak to us. Women, you know, was, did any of the guys raise their hands on panicky hungry? Okay, it's all chicks. Guys have a thing, oh, we like food, but you know, women, you know, that urge. <laughs> the women are going, how can you be that way? Well, how can you be that way about a Snickers bar? Where you could deny the faith and kill your children for a Snickers bar. Men are that way about women. Body is urge. The sin of the urge is the tale we tell with it. The narrative we write with it. It's how I handle it in me. I'm told I don't use let my flesh take opportunity because love makes me a servant of other people. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He tells you, he tells you this at the end of Romans as well, that love fulfills all the commandments. So if we're in the business, we're now saying, how do I think of myself in categories that will help my pursuit of holiness? I know that if I aim at love, rather than saying I'm set free from the law so I can do what I want, that's problem is you don't want love. You want Snickers bar. But if you bite, oh this is apt, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, Walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, you've heard these verses time and again. I've preached on this section just a few couple years ago. We know we have ways, categories of basically Bible hearing. How do I hear verses? I want you to start with the Thessalonians passage and say there are three categories. Maybe just a way of understanding, but St. Paul says there are three categories of spirit, soul, and body. So when it tells me to walk by the spirit and not um, gratify the desires of the flesh, it's telling me something in me. (coughs) Sometimes we look at the non-Christian world and what's on TV, that is the flesh. Not you and your flesh, you and your body. It's telling you to walk by the spirit in you and don't obey the flesh in you. Because children will die for a Snickers bar and marriages will break up because of men's physical desire, women's physical desire, people's physical desire. The desire is real, the desire is natural. If I'm not told to walk by the Spirit, I will write a narrative that is the loudest tale in me. But it's your narrative is written by you and your parts. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. The mind, the soul, is the, you might say, what you, rattles around in your head. It's not really right there. You know, you, I don't know if you knew this, but people didn't think that did anything up there. They just thought it was like oatmeal. They thought other portions of your body is where you thought. And you think you're thinking with your head? No. It's not automatic. For millennia, 
they thought it was somewhere else. Your bowels go, what? You only see in your head. Your thoughts, how do you know they're going on up there? Well, whatever the case, wherever they're happening, mind, soul, is choice. It's what you, what you decide to do. It's not a set of facts. Facts can go there, but facts present themselves. Choices are made. Directions are taken. Intentions, desires are plotted. The spirit, apart from it being your breath or the wind or whatever you want to, however you view your cosmology, is your particular valuation. It, it's going to be more than that. I don't want to dumb it down and say it's, it is only choice, it is only valuation. But your spirit, what you have as a non-believer, is a crippled, dead spirit who just valued what the body wanted, echoing what the body wanted. What you had as a non-Christian was somebody's spirit said, you know, you're the most important thing to you. Let's operate that way. So when the body said, hey, I want that Snickers bar, you said, dang straight, let's go get it. But you don't have any money. Well, stealing's an option. I could start writing narratives where my spirit is dead or just rubber stamping everything. The spirit is saying to you, you are the most important thing. You have valued something. You know who your Lord is. You. So when the body says, I'd like, I want that, you start writing. Sometimes you don't have enough courage for it, so you don't ask for her phone number. Sometimes you don't steal something because of manners, law. But we're told that these things are functioning in you. They're functioning to the good, but they also functioned to the bad. You had a body, you had a soul, you had a spirit. It is a non-believer as well. And all that is wrong in your life, everything you did that was an offense towards God and man, was because those things got into a meeting together and they came up with the wrong answer. Your body is urges. God gave it to you. God gave you the urges, you know? That's how the population of the world got populated. That's how we have nice meals. Because we have urges, we have skills, we have interests. We have will, we have urge, we have evaluation of the world. Now, when he tells you to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, he then tells you, this is a key verse, if I've been the men who were Monday have been talking about this verse for a couple months now. And just off and on and I'm pursuing it. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To prevent you from doing what you would. Now it doesn't tell you what you would. It's just that your wouldness your choiceness is being contended over by your flesh and your spirit. That's why he says, walk by the spirit, don't give in to the flesh. The flesh, by necessity, is about you. 
and what you want. For me to obey the flesh is to always obey what's more comfortable for heaven. What does heaven want? It serves its own interests. You know what we are in Christ? We're loving. We're there to serve each other. The desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit. And whatever you would think of doing, you've got a loss to your flesh or a loss to your spirit. A gain for your spirit or a gain for your flesh. All three of them are right there in that verse. The body, the soul, the spirit. Talking it over with you. Being you. Because it is not three parts of different agents, every one of your parts knows it's you talking. So what happens in the world when we were back when we were non-Christians? We were born of the world. Everybody, anybody know any small children? I think they're all upstairs. It's amazing how awful they are. Of course, the Johnson kids are tremendous, but other kids, awful. Wilson kids, just the worst. Now, why are they the worst? Well, they walked into this life with just a loud signal from their body and a decision generator in their head saying, don't you want that? Yeah, I want that. Well, they're not going to let you have it. Well, I'm going to make them give it to me. I'm going to scream like nobody's business. I'm going to scream to that woman over there starts to cry. The mother. And if the kid's really talented, until that man over there starts to cry. Because, you know, they got two things arguing. They don't have three. They're training their third. The third is in training going, okay, yeah, the general valuation of this little baby is uh, get what this little baby wants. When this little baby wants it. And this little baby wants it right now. So that's what makes you non-Christian, serving you. Because eventually, even you will know. We just covered this portion in the book, uh, That Hideous Strength, where Mark does something he knows is criminal. Finally, he just does it. It's not just sinful, it's criminal. <laughs> We start to cross lines that we know are wrong because we have in the innate, for whatever we're categorized as, there's an innate knowledge of good and evil ever since Adam and Eve. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. So what do we do? Well, in society, you create crimes. In a social moment in society, not a civil moment, we create manners. Right? Because manners sort of serve the kind of this force to make you do good to other people. Why, thank you very much. It is a pleasure to meet you. Sincerely yours. Nobody's sincere when they write sincerely yours. Dear so-and-so. No. Manners is driving you. Law is driving you. 
And in the Jewish world, the moral law of Moses, which was civil, which was ceremonial, which was health-wise and was moral, the law is there because people who just have their body talking to them, they have a decision generator, and they have an absolute a poor arrangement of valuation in their spirit, maybe even totally dead, not even standing up and being noticed. He wants to let you know in verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is what's amazing about Christianity. It doesn't say, get rid of the law and do what you want. It says, what you want has been so wonderfully changed by God. How I value the world is so different that I can remove the law because the law was just there for people who didn't value it right and you had to put some barriers and some fear and some punishments and whatever else on the line to stop them from doing it. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. But if you... Now, if the works of the flesh are plain. Now, we've all been through these lists, but I want you to be thinking of them in terms of body, soul, and spirit. And he's telling you what narratives you write when the Spirit reports in and what narratives you write when the body reports in. When the flesh says, I want... Remember junior high when you wrote little narratives in your head of how it was all going to work out and you're going to be so cool and all your enemies are going to be destroyed? Because that was important to you. All sorts of malice. You know the people you know that are just awful at that age? They're writing a story that answers certain urges in them, certain valuations in them. Their decisions decide, this is what it's going to be like. I'm going to dominate this school, or I'm going to hurt every girl that gets in my way. Because malice is how you award yourself. Just like the baby crying to get what it wants from mom and dad, that 14-year-old girl is crying that way in malice because she wants what she wants when she wants it. And she wants it now. But look what the list is. The works of the flesh are plain. Fornication. That's the guy saying right there. I want it. I get it. Impurity, more of that. Licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. More stuff. You can add stuff to the list. But those are just examples of the storyline, the fictions you're writing about you, and the things you enact because you wrote the fiction up, because you were listening to the flesh. The body wants what it wants. And are you, is your only valuation in life, well, to give me what I want? I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's cost to it. Don't do that stuff or you won't inherit. But that's different. People become religious to try to get into heaven all the time. They don't want to die and go to the bad place. We're trying, we, we want to be like this God wants us to be. Not just get in under his restriction or his judgment. But to be as he wants us to be. But the fruit of the Spirit. 
is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Consequently, when I say the spirit in you values these things, at some point you bowed the knee to the living God and said, I want your value. I, did, I was just having a spirit be a placeholder for my flesh. A, a spirit that just said, rubber stamp it, let it through. Because it's serving heaven. I am no longer here to serve heaven. I'm here to serve God. So I want God's version of a spirit, a valuation of the world that is not pointed at self, but pointed at somebody else. That's what love is. I have turned toward others. I want a list. Yeah. Wouldn't it just be awful if this were the case for you? Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind? They're all like subsets of love because even in the Corinthians 13 when it says love is patient, love is kind. They're also on the list here. Patience and kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But you know, there's something has to happen in your spirit to get it there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There was a passage read the other week out of Peter. I think I was teaching out of Second Peter. Uh, two or three um, somewhere where uh, it talked about uh, how the corruption that is in the world the corruption is in the world through passion all it's saying is that God's, God made the passions God made the passions. The, question, the problem is, when someone is arranging themselves and they only got a voice signal from an urge called their passions, you don't want to meet those kind of people. You don't want to have those people decide their decisions because of their passions. So consequently, the passions have to be ruled. The passions, in this case, have to be crucified. Your passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us have no self-conceit, no provoking one another, no envy of one another. I like how that verse, you know, when it says you walk by the Spirit, and then it follows along with something that says, you know, set aside specifically these self-oriented conceits, this arrogance, this, it's all about you. This is what Christians aren't about. God is going to make a wonderful you only if you stop trying to make a wonderful you. You start loving others, you start having joy, you start having patience with people. You don't have self-conceit, you don't provoke, you don't envy. Now, I was really, I got into that Galatians passage because I was thinking about the last passage here, Romans 8, and I said, well, I better have this before that, and I better have that Thessalonians passage before that. It was, it was preparatory, preparatory. Romans 8 was what I was really thinking about. I was looking at it last night. And, uh, it's, you know, it's, I love this section of Romans. 5 through 11. Just a great, a great read. 
Well, we're, there's so many things you can get from it. So much study is available. Um, whenever a sermon comes out, out about a passage, you say, well, we've been in this recently. Now, it's been a few years, this portion of uh, maybe three, four years. But some of you remember it. But other, so much to be said. This is following along a conversation that I've been in over the last few months. Because I, want, I don't want to be studying the body, soul, and spirit merely because I'm, I like to sit in my chair and study things. I want to find out what's beneficial to the life we have and, and run it out there and give it to you guys as a consideration, a supposal, and say, yeah, you know, having that Pauline tripartiteness, spirit, soul, and body, is helpful. Especially when he starts to give me instructions about what to do about the body, and what to do about the spirit, and what to do with the mind about those two things. The mind is deciding from what you value in spirit to what you want in flesh. Okay? So consequently, we are given good things in the flesh. There is sexuality in marriage, where you ought to have it. It's given to you. But I need to be the one who understands the living God limits me in that regard. So I know that I'm doing what he wants because he wants it, because I understand the good and the love for my wife or the love for my husband in that situation. I want you to be able to take this thing and sort of start thinking about your life that when you have sin close at hand, you know where to turn to undo it because we need to, temptations of sin are sure to come it's right there we are given a means of escape and I'm wondering in some ways if these categories for your thought begin to be a means of escape now at the end of uh, Romans 7 now Romans 7 I'm just going to tell you what I Romans 7 is a book where, a chapter where Paul talks about how hard it is to live the good life because just evil's right there. He's always doing the wrong thing. And a lot of Christians believe that that is Paul as a Christian. This is why it's good to read other chapters surrounding a passage. Because if I read into chapter 7 from Romans 6 and I read into chapter 8 after Romans 7, I would not be able to believe that because he denies every aspect of it in those other chapters. He does not give any room for sin. It says in Romans 6, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, in this portion, Romans 7, 7 and following to the end of the chapter, he describes himself as, I think, a Jewish Pharisee. Wanting the law of God can't do it. It just kills him. He says that when the law came, sin came to life and I died. I think his spirit died. His mind was alive. His body was certainly alive. He wanted to do what was right. Now Romans 8, he gets to the end of that chapter and says, Wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I think he's pointing at salvation in that moment. Chapter one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8 is here on the page. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. This is what we want. We not just want to be good, we want to be gooder. We want to be better at this. We want to be a more of a blessing to our fellow believers uh, in whatever pew you are in. Whatever home you're in, whatever living situation you're in, you want to be a loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good. Faithful, gentle, self-controlled individual. We want to have this freedom from the sin part. Why is the narrative being written to encourage you getting what you want for your urges? Remember what, you're, what it says in James? We are tempted when you're lured and enticed by your own desires. You are the participant. Your desires are the participant. If I don't have a valuation in the world that is the law of the spirit of life in Christ, I won't be set free from the desires. You need to have inertial force. You need to have something driving you to give you a reason to do it. Well, because I will get the Snickers bar. For God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. At that, the law was there. The flesh was there giving you all sorts of reasons to do things. All for you. And you started deciding for you, unless the manners of the age or the laws were in your way. What your general valuation is, is, you know, kind of I'm looking for what improves Evan. Whatever improves my life. And it sounds like I've got a good list here from my body. What my body wants. God's done something for you. Remember, there is the grace. From early on, when the God of peace sanctify you, he, he would keep you blameless, sound and blameless. God is doing something for you through this transition where you had something happen to you metaphysically before God because of what you did when you repented of your sins. You gave your life futilely, basically. You swore night service to God. You said, not me anymore. I'm not in charge because that body of mine, if I'm in charge, that body of mine is going to be, you know, signaling all sorts of evil. God stepped in because the law didn't, the law didn't take care of it. We have visitors. Ah. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Because holiness was represented by the law, but it didn't do anything. It was just this outside referee holding up, you know, it's like that Russian judge back in the good old days, you know. 9.5, 9.5. The Russian judge, 4.2. You know, the Russian judge was always letting you know how wrong you got it. That's all the law is. It's not you. It's just threatening you. The law couldn't do it, but the grace of God could. 
But the grace of God could do the righteous requirement of the law. That's why he says in the, that other part that um, um, the whole law is fulfilled in this one commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is how this is how the just requirement of the law is met because God has had a spirit in you speaking the language that says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's what's in you as a spirit. Now you have, I suppose, your own spirit, right? Whatever that spirit is, whatever you want to think, your ghost, your demon, whatever. And you also have the Holy Spirit of God who is sent to you as a counselor, right? He was, he was the comforter. He would lead you into truth about all things. He is in you, basically mentoring, if you want to use that awful word, mentoring your spirit into how to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient God. This is the spirit of God. We know we have to have this force present in us to get righteousness. Because if we're left just to law, external, and my own urge, my own urge is going to mm, kind of run the world. That it might be fulfilled in us who walk, accord, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, I want you to hear that verse. It's in red. Be, with the categories maybe alive in your thinking right now. That when I say walk not according to the flesh, that means something as simple as what does my body want? I'm going to do that in accord with that, which is always self-serving. My body will never want something for anyone else. It's not wrong for that, it's designed that way. If I serve it, it becomes a wrong, a bad narrative. We walk according to the Spirit. So what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? I go back to Galatians 5, and he tells me what the fruit of the Spirit is. He tells me what the valuation of life is supposed to be. Now, what I want to leave you with, kind of in the, at the end here, is in this section of Romans 8, there are words being used and repeated phrases that are going on that help us or point us to that which matters about getting there. We know that we have to be walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Now listen to this, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now look there, bolded, uh, the next line, set their minds. The next line, for set their mind. Also, set their mind, and just for a little variation, a mind that is set. Guess what? I, don't, I, I just don't know how to be holy. Set your mind. Why? You're just making this too easy. It is too easy. I was looking at these hymns we were singing, thinking about the sermon, thinking about the hymn. I've told you this story before, but when my dad had his heart operation, I was visiting him, and I asked him what he thought the greatest benefit to his Christian walk was. And he said, singing hymns. He loves the Word of God. He teaches the Word of God. He ministers the gospel to many people, etc. But for him, singing hymns. And some of them, sometimes you end up singing a rather cheesy, shallow 
piece of work, and yet it will say some of the greatest things, cheesy and shallowly. But singing a hymn sets your mind. If you got to give an A, I don't know, anybody give you a valentine? Just write you anything? Did you go back and read it again and again and again? Leslie saved a valentine I gave her 43 years ago. She has it memorized. It's not because it was written that well. It was, it was important at the time. Now, we set our minds on things all the time. Because we know it's what we set our minds on. Whatever your format, whatever you are given, you can only make decisions with what is ponies up in the moment. What are you about? Are you about love? Are you about joy? Set your minds. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So, now, this is not necessarily evil. Right? Because life has flesh. We're not, we can't deny that we're body, soul, and spirit. Body. And I've got to get up in the morning, I've got to go shave, and I've got to go uh, uh, brush my teeth, and I've got to eat, and I've got to be polite to my wife. I've got to go talk to people, I've got to do this, that, and the other thing, pay my taxes. Whatever's going on. But you know, you know what it is to have your mind set on something. If that's everything to you all the time, that if you can't measure the world in anything but its physicality, and your participation in it physically. You might not be cheating on your wife now, you might not be murdering your neighbor now. But fasten your seatbelts. Mind set on the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You talk about these things. You know some Christians that you're, yeah, you guys come to church, so you there are a lot of Christians probably in your lives, people that profess Jesus Christ who aren't either in this church or in this uh, or our churchgoers. What's the nature of the conversation? You know when it says you know simple phrases like my mother always quoted at me, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." If your heart's full of Jesus Christ, you will speak of Jesus Christ. If nobody hears about Jesus Christ, even your Christian friends from you. Not that you're an awful person. It's that you're planning to be an awful person. You're laboring to go that way. You've set your mind only on things of the flesh. Not of the things of God. Not the things of the spirit. Because it is life and peace, right? To set the mind of the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What do you, what do you want? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Got it? This is what Paul was dealing with back in Romans 7. His mind structure, not his spirit, his mind loved the law of God, but he was set on the flesh. 
because the law had said you shall not covet and it wrought in him all kinds of covetousness it becomes hostile so if you look at this passage you know the grace of God you were set free in uh, verse 2 of chapter 8 Jesus has set me free you were bought with the death of Jesus Christ So it tells you that in verse 3. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We know that this is what the grace of God is here to do. Two, it's by mind. You're not just by the grace of God. You, you are being told to set your mind on this, not on that. What is the policy? Don't make it Bible reading. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Bible. But people who make it Bible reading end up reading the Bible and it, doesn't, and it just ends up graying out and it gets their time done and they barely get through their coffee and, okay, I got my reading done. They don't set their minds on it. You set your minds on it when you know you're in a good argument with somebody and everybody's having to refer to the Bible and their knowledge of the Bible to win or lose the argument. It's a good, a good times are had by all. It's very satisfying, but you know you are speaking. Did you notice that in some of the hymns today, I was watching it go by, that speaking in biblical phrasings describing oh what was the one um, where um, he hideth my life in the cleft of the rock which covers the shadows of dry thirsty land he hideth my life in the depth of his love and covers me there with his hand you know the circumstance you know Mount Sinai Moses hidden in the rock by God, covers him with his hand and lets his glory pass before him. Now, you know that when you set your mind on things, even when it's cheesy poetry, it's cheesy about God. Is it set on him? Not located on him, but set on him. Set on the spirit. And it's also by alliance, because it notice that word, notice the word hostile coming back. There are Christians I know, let's just grant that they might be Christians, who seem to have hostility to the things of God. So I, this is a, my Christianity is the biggest buzzkill I can, I can imagine. I'm just, I'm willing to be a Christian, but I'm not willing to get serious about it because there's this general hostility. It just gets in the way. I can't misbehave the way I want. Are you allied with God? Do you, I mean, do you believe in the cause? You believe this is what we're about. It's also but you are not in the flesh, verse 9. You are in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. This is the, he, Paul is letting you know this is a consideration you are making that is going to give you an answer that you will or will not like. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not have or does not belong to him. Got it? This has got to be there. The Spirit that was changed in you when you became a Christian. Your body is still the same body. You know, factory issue. With its urges, with its desires, you'll find ways to use them and rejoice in them. 
ways to be thankful for it, but, you know, frankly, for running my life and my decisions, I need love, I need peace, I need joy. And that's what the Spirit of Christ in you gives you access to. Setting your mind on it is a huge job. Being allied with it, mindful of it, understanding the grace of God giving it to you, But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit which dwells in you. The last thing it provides for you is the life that is created. It's not merely a, we're just closeted, you know, hidden religious people that are doing Christianity kind of a weird way. We are given a life. We are given a good that is phenomenally far more interesting and better. That is a life he gives you. He will give life to your mortal bodies, where you live, the circumstance you're in. I think it's all the way down to your health. That's just a supposal. But I think the stress that is left at the peace that you have, there's still germ theory and you can still get the big C, but hey, I think God is kind to his people because we get rid of the things that actually trip our bodies up and we don't worship our bodies, we don't serve our bodies, and so we are serving our God and a life comes on that is far better. So thank God. Your urges are stuck with you. It's part of you. Realize who's in charge. Don't set your mind on it. Two, as it says in John, 1 John, uh, anyone who loves the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the love of the, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the flesh. One of those things. But it's there, it has a good. How is it good? You will find those things easily, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. You've got to be free from yourself. This is what this whole ticket is about. The body is automatically you. You've got to make a decision for God where it's now automatically Him and His Spirit. And He's got to be viewed as higher than you. It's hard for the modern not just hard for the individual in any century, but it's hard for the modern who thinks it's a great virtue to be about you. We found a God. We follow a Lord. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, thank you very much for your mercies to us, the path that we have in your spirit to love. We'd ask that you would make us about that. Help us learn to Give our minds to that. Be allied to that because we want it to happen. Thank you very much for your son, his death, and his resurrection. And in his name we pray. Amen.